I know why I'm here tonight, because I needed to hear Jeannie's story, and I needed to hear Rodney's story, and I'm so grateful for what they shared. <clears throat> but before I share the things that I think God has placed on my heart, I'm gonna, I want to pray, because, uh, yeah, I need to do that. Father, I thank you that um, we're here together tonight, some of us here sharing the story that you placed in our hearts. At some point, I think we all need to be put in that place of sharing our stories because that's really what you call us to do, to tell us about how we've come to know you as our personal Savior. So I thank you for Jeannie and Rodney and how they've challenged us, how they've reminded us of your mercy, of your grace, of your amazing love. And now, Lord, there's a few things I think I need to share. Um, And just uh, guide me now. I want to say the things that uh, you want me to say. And, uh, Lord... Uh, allow people to hear the things that uh, you want them to hear. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Everyone's story is somewhat different, and mine will be completely different again. I'm the old guy here. I'll be 65 years old in July. Uh, I've been married for 42 years. We've raised three children. Our oldest turns... You should be clapping for Marilyn because she's the one that deserves it, not me. And those of you that really know me know exactly what I'm saying. But my oldest daughter is 40, and uh, she lives in Calgary with our two oldest grandchildren, and my youngest daughter is a little bit younger and uh, just blessed us to be out a year and a half ago with a little grandson, and we have a 35-year-old son. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's our family. We've been in Yorkton now since 2002. But my story, as I said, is a little bit different <clears throat> And uh, I'm going to just share the things that I believe God has placed upon my heart. Back in the 1950s, about 200 kilometers east of here, there's a little farm town called Plumas and another little farm town called Arden. I'm making this part up, but it, it kind of makes the story reasonably real. <laughs> on, on Friday nights, the boys from Plumas would uh, drive to Arden and chase the girls. And a guy named Steve caught a girl named Elsie. And they probably went behind the barn once too often because Elsie got pregnant and in 1952 had a baby boy. And I'm that baby boy. I was adopted into a wonderful Mennonite family. Um, Probably figured that out with a surname like Dick. In southern Manitoba, I'm sure nine out of ten people have that kind of a surname. But I was raised by wonderful Christian people, Mary and Corny Dick. They're both gone. My dad died in 1990, my mom in 2001. But the things they did, and it's a little bit different than what you've heard from Rodney and what you heard from Jeannie. I grew up in a strong Christian home, a Mennonite home, lots of great Christian values. Um, I learned to uh, appreciate family. I learned to appreciate church. I learned to appreciate hard work. My parents were immigrants from Russia, and uh, my sister and I learned these things. I'm going to go back to my adoption story a little bit later, because as, as Jeannie talked about miracles, I, I call them, for me, I call them uh, altars. If you remember in the Old Testament, every time the Israelis, the nation of Israel, would wander from one end of the desert to the other, they would experience something pretty miraculous, and they would stop and they would put up an altar. And that was to remind them and the generations to follow that this is where God met them in a very real way. And I have a number of those altars in my 65 years. To be honest, I don't remember a whole lot about coming to know the Lord. I think I thought that if you grew up Mennonite, somehow you just had this straight path to heaven. 
But I, I guess as an 11 or 12-year-old, I did give my life to the Lord. It wasn't anything memorable. It wasn't, you know, one of those awe moments. I just, that's, I think I was, we all assumed that that's what would happen when you grew up in that kind of a home. Church was an important part of our life. Sunday school was an important part of our life. I went to, um, I went to church twice a, twice a Sunday. I went to Bible school, uh, a Bible school, Bible, uh, summer Bible camp. I even went to a Christian high school. So there's a lot of things like that that were part of my life for a period of time, and that's just the way it was. And I think by and large, it was fairly decent. One of the things that's interesting is I was preparing for this, and that's why I think it's a good idea for all of you to be put in the same spot. Because what it causes you to do, particularly old guys like me, is to reflect on where you've been. I sometimes forget about these things, so Randy has forced me to think about where my journey's gone. And Randy, it's a good thing, and I applaud you for that. But somewhere in those early years, before I was a teenager, God placed something in my heart about radio. Um, And I don't know why. I do know why now, but I didn't know why then. I grew up in a town where there was no radio. I grew up in in a family where there was no radio. But somehow, I just knew I was going to be in radio. I was one of those guys when I graduated from this high school, I knew I was going to be in radio. Um, and I've been in radio ever since. I got into radio in 1972 in, in Flin Manitoba. But there is a period of time from about 15 to 19 where despite some very poor choices, God was watching over me. I wasn't necessarily aware of it at the time um, because I was pretty much walking uh, my own life, pretty much doing my own thing. As I said, I've been in radio since 1972. I went to Flinflon, Manitoba to CFAR with a great big ego in 1972 and started a career in radio. I got to tell you some one quick little radio story. For some reason or other, I had a hard time distinguishing between Presbyterians and pedestrians. If there's any Presbyterians, <laughs> if there's any Presbyterians here, I apologize. But in Flinflon, the fire department was pretty much all volunteer. This is an absolutely true story. Um, the, vol- the fire department was a volunteer fire department. When there was a fire in the town, we were trained very early at this station. When that red phone rings, you quickly answer it. You get the information. You stop whatever you're putting on the air. If you're in the middle of something, you stop it, and you read this very special announcement because that's how that whole city of nine or 10,000 people would find out where the fire was, and the volunteer fire department would know where to go. So... Um, the phone rings. I'm not sure where it was. A couple or three weeks after I got on the air, and I knew not much about radio, but I knew when that phone rang, you quickly got the information, and then you had this format sheet. So I had the format sheet, and I probably had been practicing. So I'll put on my radio voice now and say, CFAR has been informed that there is a fire at 32 Bell Street. All motorists and Presbyterians are reminded to stay away from the fire. I guess you Mennonites, we could have gone, but not the Presbyterians. <laughs> so my, my radio career started in, in, uh, in Flin Flon in CFAR in 1972. I should back up a little bit because I did have a kind of a, a, a teenage life that was probably rebellious, but not perhaps as rebellious as some. The sessions that Rodney talked about, I would not have known anything about. We, we, we had some of our own, our own things. But I do know that I caused my parents a great deal of concern. Um, but, but, but that's part of my journey.
We got married in 1975. Our oldest daughter, Geraldine, showed up in 1977. And it's, there's an altar that I will put up there because that's when, despite the fact that as far as I was concerned, everything was going well, we had chosen as a couple not to go to church. We had chosen as a couple. I have a feeling there was probably a couple or three years there where we had very little of anything to do, uh, certainly in prayer, in, in, in reading the Bible, in spending time at church. But my life was interrupted because a co-worker, I'm 27 years old, uh, a co-worker and a very dear friend died on his 30th birthday. And I and another one found him the next morning because he didn't come to work. And what do you do with that when you're 27 years old? That was my crisis moment. And in my grief, I remember calling my parents and asking them to send me a Bible. And I'm sure for my mom and dad, there was a lot of rejoicing, for in a small way, the prodigal was returning home. It's interesting now, as I've reflected on this, that I was reasonably satisfied to live my life as a broadcaster, a husband, a father, and all of this had been done my way. But as soon as I faced a circumstance that I couldn't deal with, I was taken back to those Christian roots that I talked about. The Catholics say, "Turn, uh, raise a, teach a child, teach a child, teach the truth as a child, and it'll return to him in his older years." And it really did. So, who am I going to turn to? I turned to my parents and asked them to send me a Bible because somehow I thought there I would find the answers. I share that now, again, as a reminder that. We all need to be encouraged that despite the choices that our kids and grandkids may be making today, our merciful God is looking after them and is hearing our prayers. Today, I often find myself praying for my kids and for my grandkids that uh, God will reveal to them what he has in store for them and that they will become all that he has created this to be. As I said, this would likely be another one of my altars of remembrance because God got my attention through the death of a dear friend, but in that death interrupted my life and wrote a significant line or two in my Christian life. As my radio life continued, um, it's now about 1970 and 1980, and we're in Saskatoon. I've gotten away from the on-air stuff, and I'm more getting involved in sales, which I found very quickly was really my skill set. And we started going to a church, but it was really interesting. It was, we knew Jerry would have been probably three or four years old, I think, Mayor, and we were were trying to figure out how do we go to church, not particularly um, ready to to go to a church and walk in the door. But if your church ever thinks about wanting to connect with the community and the community around the church, that's a good idea because that's what happened to us. This was a little Mennonite church on the east side of Saskatoon. At that time, it was called Nutana Mennonite Brethren. Today, it's Forest Grove. And they distributed little flyers. And in our mailbox one day is a flyer saying that they're having a Sunday school class. And I remember as a kid, Sunday school classes were pretty important to me. So we started sending... um, We started sending, yeah, we started sending uh, Gerald Lee. But what's interesting is that at that church, we became friends with a couple who have continued to be our friends to this day. 
And some of you know Dave and Pat Giesbrecht, and they embraced us. They were a little bit older than us, but they embraced us as their friends. And here it is 30-some years later. I want you to remember that name because it comes up a little bit later because 20 years later we're, we're doing something else. My radio career continues with a move to a small town called Rosetown. And it was my first opportunity to actually get involved in managing a station and um, owning a part of a station. I have to remember something. When I got, first got into radio, I loved radio. Um, I've, always, I've often said that I managed to do something, and for some of you young people that are here, I encourage you to do this. I found something that I love so much, and for years I tricked people into paying me to do it. And I'm serious. I, I loved going to work. And I loved, never particularly financially rewarding, because radio tends not to be, but I just enjoyed it. And it may have been the ego to start with. It's hard to say. I probably was a bit of a jerk uh, in those days when I was on air and really full of myself. But as time went on, I came to realize, I think, that I really enjoy this sales and marketing business. But something else happened in Rosetown. Um, and again, it, it would be another one of those altars. You know how God places people around you strategically? Well, he placed a, a pastor and his wife across the street from us, Graham and Marjorie Knox. And uh, we have three kids by now because our Dieter was born in, in, uh, in Rosetown. And he's wanting us to become more than just passive churchgoers. He's wanting us to be a part of a Bible study. I'm not sure about that. But here's what this very gentle, humble man did. He made sure I couldn't get away because he'd have the Bible study in our house. (laughs) And it was a very small house, and where am I going to go? But out of that Bible study, I remember very clearly reading in Acts where people asked Peter, what shall we do now? And he said, you know, you must be baptized. And Marilyn and I were baptized as adults. I can still see our three kids on the front row of this little church in Rosetown. And it was one of those moments when I would have to put an altar. There was something, something that happened. Um, and uh, it's one of those places where I, I know I met God in a very real way. What's also interesting is we then moved into Alberta and worked in a couple of the communities, St. Paul and Wainwright. And I realize now that my first kick at the cat in terms of establishing a radio station came in Wainwright because I opened up a, ra- a radio station in Wainwright in 1984 and spent about three years there, never thinking that somewhere down the line something else with that is going to happen. But I also met God in another uh, supernatural way, and there would be another monument there. I call it my road to vermilion experience. One of the things that I found myself being very uncomfortable with and fought with it like crazy, I wanted to separate my business life from what happened on a Sunday morning. And I thought I was doing okay, but I know I wasn't. Maybe nobody observed anything, but I know what was going on in my heart. So I used to make sales calls to this little town north of uh, Wainwright called Vermilion, and I'm driving down the road, and I'll never forget this. I'm driving, and I'm, I'm quarreling with God. In fact, I feel it was probably like Jacob when he went wrestling. I was wrestling with God, and I remember slamming the, the, um, the front of the, uh, the, the dashboard of the vehicle, and I'm crying, and I'm laughing, and I'm ready to almost renounce my faith. And I said to God, okay, I'll tell you what, i got to make sales calls in Vermilion for the rest of the day. I'm going to go back to Wainwright, and I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to go into the, the pastor's study, and I'm going to talk to him. So two things have to be here, have to happen. He has to be there, 
and he has to be willing to talk to me. And of course, we all know what happened. His name was Dave Dickey. I walked in, and I don't know if it was the look on my face or it was the discussion that ensued, but the next thing I know, I'm a part of a, a men's Bible study, which I believe has sown the seed for why I have such a heart for men and, and want to work with men. And beyond that, he took me to a point where we got into a, uh, a Navigators 2-7 class. And I think Ron and, and Jan may know more about that, but it was based on Colossians 2, verse 7, where you get rooted and built up in your faith. And every week, we would walk three or four houses down to the pastor's place, and there was a pastor and his wife, and there was an accountant and his wife, and they had Bible experience and seminary experience and every week I'd walk home and say Marilyn that's it I'm not going back but you know what they had us do they had us uh, memorize Bible verses and I still have that little brown packet and with very little effort I could probably repeat most of those verses so Wainwright was a very important part to our life to a point where when those radio stations uh, were sold and next thing I know we're back in Rosetown, one of the first things I wanted to do was find out that, okay, what's, what's in Rosetown? There's a job, all right. But what I had begun to grow in my faith was just as important. In fact, I would dare say more important. What do you guys have here for a men's study? None. Well, I guess we should start one. So we did. So in Rosetown, that's what happened. And the other thing was, I began to understand, like, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. God has given me an ability to connect with people, particularly businessmen. And I've heard a term called marketplace ministry. And I think that's what God has called me to do. And this began to be sown back in the days in Rosetown. So but generally speaking, as we continued our lives in Rosetown, our kids are growing. It's a nice little farm town. Life was good. Our church life was good. Our family life was good. Our community was good. Our small radio station was profitable. All was well. But we had a stirring in our heart that in 2002 that caused us to think that it's time to go. Nothing happened. And, it was, and you know it was a God thing when I never said anything to Marilyn and he's stirring up something in her heart. And the next thing I know, we're coming to Yorkton. And for years, I blamed Marilyn because she said, why don't you just go and check it out? What can it hurt? Yorkton? Why would you go to Yorkton? <laughs> uh, of course, I'd heard of Yorkton, but I don't think we'd ever been here. So we moved to Yorkton in 2002. And again, life is good. We have been blessed with a beautiful acreage. We... Um, Connected with men, some neat things were going on there. And I also came to Yorkton. I was 50 years old in 2002, and here was my plan. I'm going to retire when I'm 55. I'm going to find the kind of job where I can work with men's ministry, preferably in Arizona in, in say, <laughs> about November to March, and then I'll come back in the summertime. And this was all great until the July long weekend or the August 1st long weekend in 2004, when all of a sudden I find myself without a job. I'm 52 years old. The thing that I have loved for so long has been taken from me. And I remember Mary sitting on the deck. It was a Friday, and it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And What are you doing home? Well, I've lost my job. So we went to uh, Medicine Hat that weekend because we had kids living there, and... Um, it was difficult. It was very difficult. But 
no job, no press prospect of a job in something that I really enjoyed. By the way, when we left Rosetown, and you know what, we've come to terms with this, but for the first couple of years, we said, why did we ever leave? You know what, it wasn't bad. We had, we had, we had no debt. We had no mortgage. We had nothing. Um, so why did we come to Yorkton? And now all of a sudden, I'm out of a job. We couldn't sell our house in Rosetown. I have no opportunities for a job, as far as I'm concerned. And um, what do I do next? Somewhere I need to tell you that um, you'd heard about this Giesbrecht dude. Um, but when we came to Rosetown, all right, when we left Rosetown and came to Yorkton, one of the people that I ran into uh, was th- through our church, or people we ran into were uh, Dwayne and Lisa Kruger. They had moved here about a year after we had from Alberta. And I realize now when I think about it how God works in, in a pretty mysterious way. And Dwayne is a farmer, and had, by the way, he's here. Um, Dwayne was a far, is a farmer and had been listening to Christian radio on his tractor, I think, outside of Edmonton. And God had placed something into his heart about Christian radio. But you know what, folks, here's how God works. What does that have to do with anything when you're going round and round the field and you're a long way from anything or anybody that's connected with radio? But that's what he came here with. So now I've lost my job. And I remember at one time before I had lost my job and I was still working, Dwayne had said something to me about Christian radio. And yes, I had back in 84 thought about Christian radio and so on, even had journaled a little bit about it, but I was pretty satisfied and pretty content, and things were going fairly well until that long weekend in 2004, and I said to Dwayne, I don't think so. I, 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 I don't think I heard right from God. I, I think, you know, it must be somebody else. So, of course, when I lost my job, um, a lot of these things started coming back to me. And one of the things I had done over the years, I had journaled. And I had journaled about the dialogue with God about radio, and particularly Christian radio. What you need to understand in those days, it was very difficult to get a Christian radio station. Um, Ron and Jan just came from the States. There's lots of Christian radio stations there. In fact, in a community of this size of 20,000, there would be probably in the States about 13 radio stations, and, and any number of them could be Christian. In fact, if we were in Yorkton, uh, all the people on this side of the room could all tomorrow get a license to start a, a radio station. And if you wanted to all be Christian radio, go for it, because the FCC, which is the equivalent of the CRTC, really doesn't care. So anyway, now it's 2004. I'm looking at some of the journaling that I've made about Christian radio, I run into this farmer named Dwayne. Um, he's encouraging. He's positive. But he knows nothing about radio. I run into, uh, I replay my conversations with Dave and Pat Giesbrecht. Now, the Giesbrechts, Dave at one point back in the early 70s, he had also decided to try doing something with radio in, in Saskatoon. And he, along with another guy, had actually done a quite a bit of work and had put a lot of money into it. And we're very discouraged because at those days, the government would not allow you to have a Christian radio station. 
they um, it just there were none. If there was Christian radio in Canada in the 70s, it was in Newfoundland because they had joined Confederation in 1948, and I think they had some Christian radio stations in Newfoundland before they joined. So I mean, they obviously kept going. But Dave Giesbrecht and the team that he was with had decided um, this isn't going to work. So I, I hope you're getting a picture of this. This is how God works. Out on a farmer's field in Edmonton is a, is, a, is a guy who hears from God about Christian radio. Meanwhile, there's a guy named Dave Giesbrecht, very successful businessman, has tried to do something with Christian radio and has failed. And there's this dude that has got radio in his heart uh, since he was 12, 13 years of age. He's 52 years old. It's uh, 2004, and um, he's thinking about what he does next with his life. And this is where I've come to understand and appreciate 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, where Paul talks about how God takes the foolish, he takes the weak, he takes the poor, and he shames the wise, the strong, and the rich. And he concludes by saying in verse 31, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's really what I'm about here tonight. Because what happened from that point on, um, I really had nothing to do with. Because it, had, it makes absolutely no sense when you take the three characters that I was telling you about and we decide to work together to try to start a Christian radio station. So we meet in the fall of 2004. I should add there was a fourth guy, um, a buddy that I'd worked with in, in radio for many years, who uh, became a part of that uh, process, that initial uh, process and uh, he stepped out here probably about five or six years ago and someone that's been with me from day one ten years ago is Scott Fitzsimmons has taken over his part of the station so the four of us have been working on this together Scott and I every day and the other two along uh, the sidelines as not only huge supporters and financial contributors but major major cheerleaders so here we go we're gonna we're gonna we're going to uh, we're going to start a Christian radio station because I think this is what God wants us to do. When I sat with these guys in November of 2004, um, and I'd laid out a business plan, to be honest, folks, it made absolutely no sense. Remember what I talked about, the weak and the foolish and the poor? It makes no sense doing this because you're in Saskatoon. Saskatoon has a very Christian uh, heritage. It was founded by Quakers. Regina's got a whole lot more population. Regina also has a lot more potential businesses. But I was absolutely convinced that we should be doing this in Yorkton. So that's what we did. In early 2005, we applied and we were approved on October 16th, 2005, and on the air midnight, December 19th. And I have to tell you, folks, that is going to has to be another altar. In less than two months, and this is where it's such a God thing, in less than two months from absolutely nothing, and it was only a 50-watt radio station in those days, but there's still a lot of work involved. But in, in, in less than two months, God put this Christian radio station, the first commercial Christian radio station in Saskatchewan, on the air. At midnight on December the 16th, I'm sorry, December 19th, I'll never forget this, Marilyn and I walked into the server room at the station. Scott had joined us as well, and he was there. And the owners of the building at that time were Kirby and Brenda Hilderman, and we pressed the button. What you have to understand, if you've ever had a dream, 
and you work so hard. And in this case, this dream was 20 years. And you kind of lose focus, and you think, ah, it's not going to happen. But when it finally does, boy, that is a time of celebration. So probably half an hour later, Marilyn and I were laying laying in bed listening to this station. By the way, all it was was Christmas carols. drove me crazy. But... (laughs) But that's what we did for the first four or five days. But I remember laying there and weeping because something that God had placed on my heart had become a reality. And along the way, and along the way, he had blessed me with, with wonderful people like Dwayne and Lisa Kruger and Dave and Pat Giesbrecht, but many others as well. One of the neat things that's happened along the way is that God always places cheerleaders. Just about when you figure that, ah, man, I don't know if this is going right or what we're going to do, but um, God strategically places cheerleaders, and I'm going to mention a little bit more about that uh, in a few minutes here. What's interesting is the government, um, you go to the government and you get a license. That's the way it works. You apply for a license. So we apply for a license. We got approved. But we're business people, and there's enough business people in here that you know how it works. Um, I remember when Corey first started at Century 21. I think, Corey, we were your first client when we bought our acreage. I'm not even sure you were fully licensed with Century 21. But in any event, I mean, Corey had a dream, and, and Jeannie pointed that out tonight. And, and that's, what, that's, what, that's what The Rock is about. It's a dream. But along the way, there's obstacles. And in, in, in our world, the obstacle is, is, um, is one that, I mean, anyone here can start a real estate agency tomorrow, I think. You can't do that with radio. You have to jump through the hoops. And it's frustrating and it's discouraging. It was discouraging in 2007 when we applied to expand into Melville and we were, we were, uh, our application was denied. I believe now in retrospect, I'm beginning to understand that God sometimes has things figured out a lot better than me. It wasn't a good idea to go into Melville um, <laughs> with a repeater. In 2008, we said, okay, let's go 50,000 watts. And we were denied. But here's what's interesting. It takes about a year to go through this process. And I had prayed about it. I would fasted about it. And as far as I was concerned, we were going to get it. But we didn't. You know how discouraging that is? Your faith really gets challenged. In 2011, I was encouraged to attempt it again. But there's a part of me that says, like, why? But somebody, and I'm not sure who it was, when I see Kimberly Patzer, it may have been Kim, somebody had said to me, you need to watch Angus Buchan's Faith Like Potatoes. And you guys may have even lent it to me. I don't know. Anyway, I'm watching this, and I'm, and I'm thinking, okay, I, I guess if you're going to expand and get a license, you need to send an application. Angus didn't harvest any potatoes until he put them in the ground. Okay, God, I guess we'll do that. Meanwhile, and this is one of our significant cheerleaders, Betty Fritzke shows up at the office one day, and it's still sitting on our mantle. And it's, it's a little framed picture of the prayer of Jabez. And she doesn't know what's going on in my life. She doesn't know about the discouragement. She certainly doesn't know that uh, we're, we're debating on whether or not to apply. And uh, I said, okay, God, let's do it. But you know what? 
I felt less confident the second time than I did the first time. Like, what's, what's that about? If Father Kushko was here, he would say, no, no, I knew all the time you're going to get the second application. <laughs> he, he was so unbelievably encouraging. So I'm learning to trust because I cannot figure out what God is up to. This is where it actually becomes a little more difficult. Um, I'm not sure that I've necessarily got it figured out right. You need to understand that what I do with radio and, and with the radio station is a very important part of who I am. And you know what? If it's too important, if it's more important than it ought to be, then I really don't want to, I don't want to be there. My family is important. My faith is important. My children and grandchildren are unbelievably important. But I think God has placed this in my heart. And I keep being reminded by lots of people that um, it's the right thing to be doing, but it is difficult. So as many of you know, we wrestled with this for about a year. And in 2015, we applied to the CRTC and said, please let us out of our license. This isn't working. Um, And it wasn't easy. Those of you in business or you work for a business, you know that a business has to grow, has to be profitable. And unfortunately, the challenge is the Christian radio, commercial Christian radio in Canada is not. So I'm processing all of this. As a business plan is seen through the eyes of the world, it's not very bright. It's a terrible plan, to be honest. But I believe is God's plan to reach the world of the lost, to bring hope to the hopeless and the helpless, it's probably a brilliant plan. So, to be honest, I remember waiting for the application to be approved, and I had lots of good people (laughs) say lots of interesting things. Some said, I'm praying against your application being approved. I won't look at you, Randy. I'll just uh, look everywhere else. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, But partway through the process, I said to Marilyn, I think I should withdraw the application because we're not supposed to do this. But you know what? We've already gone forward with this, and I'm rationalizing all kinds of things. I'm still a Christian businessman. You know, Dwayne and Lisa are a wonderful Christian couple who, who share in the financial burden of the station. So are the Giesbrechts. Scott's a wonderful Christian man. We can, we can still do this. But in light of the things that are going on in the world, I mean, just look around you. Man, if there's ever a time for a voice of hope, if there's ever a time to be preaching Christ, it's now. So... And then the other thing was, I don't know how many of you remember, but when we first played, when we first signed on on January 2nd, uh, 2006, the first two songs were the revival song and Jesus, All for Jesus. Both, both of them are Robin Mark songs. And I'd sort of forgot about that. That's why it's a good idea that you asked me to do this, because you're forcing me to relive my journey. Um, the Robin Mark song, revive us, revive us, revive us, revive us with your love. 
And I remember singing that in church one day, and I said to Marilyn, that's going to be the first song that we play at the radio station. That's why God didn't approve the application. And then the second one, to change format, the second one was another Robin Mark song, All for Jesus. All I am and have and ever hope to be, all of my ambitions, hopes, and plans, I surrender into your hands, for it is only in your will that I am free. I can, I can read that, um, but that doesn't mean that the struggle has gone away because it, it's still a struggle. I still, I wonder. I came across a passage um, in Philippians. Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I'm, I'm thinking about that. Like, what does that mean? Work out your salvation. But the commentary in my Bible says, Salvation is not merely a gift received once for all. It expresses itself in an ongoing process in which the believer is strenuously involved. The process of perseverance humble service, spiritual growth, and maturity, and not because of doubt or anxiety. And I've been doubtful, and I've been anxious, and filled with fear and insecurities far too long. And it drives me crazy. But it's okay. I've had so many good people along the past uh, speak into my life, and as I say, I call them cheerleaders. One of them said to me, when you're, when you're facing this kind of a challenge, and you can apply it to wherever you are, ask these two questions. What are you doing, Lord? What do I need to know? And then conclude with, lead me where I have to go. Okay. I, I, I'm not a very complicated man. I understand that. So God, if that's what you're asking us to do, then I guess that's what we'll do. But I continue to wrestle because I'm still anxious and I'm still fearful. I've been doing, uh, I listen to a Rick Warren devotional pretty much every day. And, you know, when I hear how God has been working in Rodney's life and when I hear how God has been working in Jeannie's life, I feel kind of ashamed. Um, Moments I feel very ashamed because I, I tend to complain. I, I tend to, I tend to, uh, yeah, complain a lot. But then Rick Warren said something the other day that I thought, you know what? Um, complaining to God is an act of worship. You know what Isaiah, when it says, come reason with me? I've been reasoning with God a lot. Complaining to God is an act of worship. Don't we want to hear our kids ask us, like, why are you doing that? And we tell them what we think they need to hear. But we're parents, so we don't give them the whole nine yards because they're not quite ready for it. Maybe I'm not ready to hear the whole download from God. Well, I know I'm not because I am anxious, because I am fearful, because I am insecure. Complaining about God is an act of rebellion, and I don't want to complain about God. Because as you can tell, with all the memorial altars that I've shared with you tonight, there's lots of things to rejoice over. Warren keeps on saying, it seems that sometimes darkness is my only friend. It's in my darkness, it's in that darkness 
where I'm filled with fear, with anxiousness and insecurity. And then Warren also says, in these shadows of darkness, we need to turn back our shadows and look to the light. And Jesus said, I am the light. So I'm asking Jesus to heal me of my anxiousness and my fear-filled heart. I relate to Jacob. He wrestled with God. But you know what? It's interesting. When you wrestle with God, he would rather have us fighting than fleeing. I don't plan on fleeing. I have seen God at work in so many wonderful ways, not only in the rock, which is important to me, but in my family. When you think about uh, the story about, um, about being adopted, after I connected with my biological family, I remember saying to God, why are you introducing me to the Olsufkas and the Sadowskis? My mother was Elsie Olsufka, a Polish-Russian lady. By the way, she was also adopted. So I believe she was Jewish. And Duane, I was born in a Shemitah in 1952. So I think I might be Jewish. And I do have a Jewish name that only Marilyn knows, so no one else will know it. But I got to connect with this family, like some of the neat experiences that God has given me. If any of you are adopted, you can maybe relate to this. I got to drive into town with my wife, 2009. We drove into this one-horse town. First place we came to was a little garage. It's a little town. You show up, everybody knows you're there. You've got Saskatchewan plates. You get out and you say, I'm doing a little research. What would you like to know? Got to remember, in 2009, I'm 57 years old. In 10 minutes, I knew my entire half of my life story. That's how it works in these little towns. By the end of that weekend, it was a long weekend, I connected with probably most of my biological father's family. That's a God thing. That's an amazing experience. After we left that little garage, we went to meet some of these people, and I'm sure not many people get to do this. I walk up to the door of a total stranger. It's a beautiful August afternoon. And I say, um, can I talk to you about something? You had an Uncle Steve. Yes, I did. It was a woman probably about two years older than me. I said to her, um, well, in 1952, your Uncle Steve fathered a child. And I'm that child. Oh, my God, Henry, come here. you got to meet this guy. <laughs> And you know, that's how it went. A few minutes later, she phoned her sister, and this is the absolute truth. That's exactly how it went. And uh, really? So we've met these people. But when I say to God, why am I meeting them now? Because both of these folks are gone, my biological mother and my biological father. And you know what I'm supposed to do for this family? I'm supposed to pray for the Sadowskis and the Olsufkas. And I've been regularly praying for them since 2009. We get Christmas cards from people I have no idea who they are. But somehow, I guess we're related. 
Well, we are related. So I want to bring this to a conclusion now by saying that I, I, I think it's okay to keep wrestling with God. I think it's okay to keep fighting. I don't want to flee. Not after all the things that I've experienced. And I've also come to a place where most of us have that I know God loves me. I know he cares for me. He has certainly blessed me. All you have to do is hear the story that I'm telling you. And it's pretty amazing. But the truth is, I'm still anxious. I'm still filled with fear. But I think it's okay because that's part of of how God is molding me into the person he wants me to be. Um, There's a song that we play at our radio station. And some of you may have heard this. And I take these words and I apply them to myself. And me, others may apply it to themselves in some way. But part of the lyrics go like this. They say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I have right now. You've been faithful. You've been good all my days. Jesus, I will cling to you, come what may. I know you're able, I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, my hope is in you alone.